When it comes to space games, nobody compares to Atari. Excuse me. Have you compared them to Intellivision? Intellivision? Sure, they've got great space games, like Intellivision Space Battle. I didn't know. And now there's Space Armada and the incredible Astro Smash. I didn't know. Here, compare for yourself. Intellivision Space Games from Mattel Electronics. Once you compare, you'll know. Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 280. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Man, I had a good night's sleep. I am refreshed from my exciting uh, second convention of the year. I uh, remember last week's episode, if you've listened to it, was inspired by my having a booth at my first convention of 2021 and some thoughts I had about Atari's place in the world after having been there for the day. I had another convention yesterday as I'm recording this and it was fun, as much fun as I did at the first one. People seemed to be really enjoying being out and uh, amongst other people, which is nice. Um, Some of us were masked, some of us were not. Everyone just seems to be really excited about being out and interacting with people, even though, as we all know, people are icky. There is something to be said for being out in the world. I got to chat with uh, some nice people. I sold a few books, which was nice. Uh, I sold a few of my wife's uh, sort of nerd culture-themed face masks. People are still buying masks, which is nice. Promoted the podcast a little bit. Promoted my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. And it was just a nice day. But even though you don't really go anywhere right? You just kind of stand there in your booth. For one, you're standing on your feet all day. And plus all the load in in the morning and loading all your crap out at the end of the day and it tends to be warm in those places. And so it's, it's really exhausting to do them. Uh, I've got one coming up that's two days and another one that's three days. Uh, unfortunately, not Midwest Gaming Classic. Not going to make it there. But there's another thing called NerdFest uh, at the end of August, which is a, a brand new event. And, uh, I'm going to go check that out. Um, Brand new, three days, uh, not just games, although games apparently are going to have a huge presence, both video and board games, uh, but it's also going to be comic books and artists and other nerdy stuff. Uh, So I'm going to have a table there, Uh, but that's three days. Uh, Midwest Gaming Classic is always a physical challenge uh, for all the reasons I just said, but I usually have help. Uh, I dragged my family along to help me. Uh, Nerdfest, it looks like I may have, uh, at least for part of the time, no help. So it's going to be interesting. Um, but you know what? It's worth it because I get to meet some of you people. Aw, that's sweet. All right, let's get on to other sweet stuff, namely feedback from people who like this show. I heard from Dave over at, at Airwolf Pod on Twitter. Uh, he is one of the hosts of the lovely podcast, Champion Klein, the Airwolf Years 
uh, which is a show I've mentioned before on the podcast. Um, it's a, a delightful romp through 80s television. Dave reached out on Twitter uh, regarding the Steeplechase episode, which I think was 278. He wrote, Just finished listening, and it brought back a wave of nostalgia for me. I have many great memories of playing this with my uncle. He had this game and Atlantis, and we would drop hours into Steeplechase. Thanks for the episode, Bill. Uh, no, thank you, Dave, for uh, for the nice uh, comment. But, I mean, that's the thing about Atari. Frankly, that's the thing about a lot of stuff that adults like from their childhood. Uh, it's not as much, it's not just the thing, whether that thing is Atari or 80s TV or uh, even like uh, you know going to baseball games or whatever. Uh, a lot of it is the experience of having done the thing just as much as the thing. You enjoyed doing this because you were doing it with your uncle. As a side note, I gotta say, is an uh, this is an odd couple of games for your uncle to have had. I don't know what else was in his collection, but I'm envisioning. I'm sure this is not correct, but I'm envisioning, like he has this Atari console and two games, and there's Steeplechase and Atlantis. Atlantis was a good game, I remember. Steeplechase, I think, would be better playing with another person, like your uncle. Uh, I played it by myself because I'm a podcaster and have no friends, so it just strikes me as an odd pair of games to have. As opposed to like uh, Yars Revenge and uh, Pac-Man and Pitfall 2, you know, insert games here. So I don't know, th- that was my first reaction when you wrote that. But I like that comment, just, you know, kind of tying it back to having been a kid at a certain time with certain people and the feelings that old stuff can rekindle. So thanks for that, Dave. I also heard from John Painter who is at John Painter, P-A-Y-N-T-E-R, 1970, on Twitter, responding, I think, to the post about the, uh, well, I think it's the post about the most recent episode, the uh, Is Atari Too Old to Be Pop Culture episode. He wanted me to know that he has Atari t-shirts. Specifically, he put pictures up in the post of this really cool-looking Pac-Man t-shirt, Atari Pac-Man t-shirt, to be specific. So that's very cool. Uh, I like that a lot. I kind of want that shirt. It's very cool. Um, I think he's responding to my point about seeing Atari artwork in the wild, as it were, and, and how it doesn't seem like you do very much. I was thinking more like uh, vintage ads from the 70s and 80s, print ads, you know, or uh, signage from wherever, from uh, Atari headquarters or whatever. But it is also nice to know that Atari artwork, at least in the form of t-shirts, and that sort of thing is still floating around. So thanks for sharing that, John. I also heard from uh, Carl Mead, my fan in New Zealand. Hi, Carl. How are you doing? I put up a picture uh, from QuadCon yesterday and uh, as I'm recording this. And uh, he, uh, sort of playing off of Jason of Jason Says Stuff's comments last week about how he wants a badge, the Facebook uh, favorite listener badge or whatever they call it. Carl's take on it is, Hey there, Jason. Forget the badges for us two top fans. Uh, apparently, Carl and Jason have declared themselves top fans of this podcast. Uh, but again, no prizes. Forget that. We need a William Pepper Atari Bytes t-shirt. Make mine a large, and I'll start your New Zealand ad campaign for the podcast. I've gone on record as saying that uh, if New Zealand wants to pay my way to come over and do a live event in their uh, wonderful country, uh, I'm open to the idea. So Jason's, or Carl's trying to bribe me here for a t-shirt. He'll start working on that. I might have to give that some thought. I am giving some thought to some new t-shirts that I might make available if anyone's so interested. If 
that is a thing you guys think you want, let me know. And if I guess if I get enough of a response and have the time to work on it, uh, I might make that happen. Regarding the Steeplechase episode 278, Carl also commented that uh, it was a great show, as did Jason. Another fine episode, I laughed, I cried, and most of all, I jumped over stuff while on horseback. And now, the Statler and Waldorf to my Muppet show. Question! What does Jason say? He says stuff! What does Jason say? What's a stuff? What does Jason say? Or maybe a little stuff! What does Jason say? He says stuff! Dear Atari Bytes, Congratulations on one of the best shows you ever did. I was truly sitting in a euphoric state. As each word came through my incredibly wonderful Apple PowerBook Pro. Getting sponsored by Apple, Jason? Which is the only brand of phone, computer, tablet, watch, music player, or whatever else that meets my stringent approval. And as a badge-carrying superfan of Atari Bytes, Seriously, Jason, you gotta let this badge thing go. It is obvious that I am truly a man of distinguished taste and sensibilities. Yes, as cruelly explained by my strict taskmaster, Bill Pepper. Hey, that's me. There is no actual badge. I do, however, believe there should be badges, and maybe even a playset. Hey, you might be onto something there, Jason. That reflects all the stars of the show, like myself, Bug, and Sean. Ooh, little shout out there for Sean. Perhaps Lego would be willing to make us into a Lego playset. In the words of Bill, Lego, if you're listening, we wouldn't be against it. Uh, Jason's not wrong. I would totally be up for uh, a little Lego me. That would be amazing. Further, Jason says, I appreciate the comment from a fellow biter about my intelligence. Yeah, there were some shots fired last week, and apparently Jason uh, can dish it out as well as take it. Uh, then there's some political stuff that I just am not in the mood to read right now. Let's see. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, Jason enjoys being an agent of chaos in the rather, rather mundane world of Atari podcasting. If the world is so mundane, one has to wonder why you're listening to an Atari podcast. Uh, presumably more than one. Uh, I've seen pictures of your game setup. You're clearly a gamer, Jason. But, oh well. Much like the creation of Agent Smith as the inverse to Neo in The Matrix, I exist to balance the Opie Cunningham wholesomeness of Bill. Opie Cunningham uh, is a very successful uh, director, multi-bazillionaire, so... If I could have a fraction of that, uh, I'd be okay with that, Jason. Uh, and his love, meaning me, not Opie Cunningham, of Atari, Peanuts, Doctor Who, and whatever else is is, is his prime mover to podcasts. Well, my only prime mover to podcasts, Jason, is to, to share my love for the world. Get it? Jason says. It's all about balancing of the universal equations. Think about it. After the loss of Sneezer, the show ran the risk of becoming melancholy and perhaps even tragic. Sneezer was my uh, family's cat that we'd had for uh, 17 years. So, yeah, that was a an unfortunate day. Um, like the arrival of a new age, I breathe life back into Atari Bytes, and now it stands above many podcasts and create a virtual land of milk and honey. Oh, look, there's Bill scooping up some honey. Don't worry with me. Uh, don't worry with me. The honey will flow in copious levels for the foreseeable future. My only complaint was only one jangle came from Bug. Uh, for the record, Bug's uh, dozing next to me. Uh, so before this segment is over, you might get to hear another one. That really definitely, meaning only one jangle, was a letdown for the millions of people that sit with their ear to their speaker in eager anticipation of his, it's actually her, I think I've told you that before, Jason, sweet jangles and playful gallops across the studio. Alright, then Jason moves on. Did you know 
that on, that on the East Coast, New York market, there was a phone in a phone in game show named TV Picks, P-I-X. Kids would send in postcards to be potential contestants to win nearly worthless prizes. They would put on uh, put in a television game on the screen, and the little kid would scream "Picks" into their phone, and off camera, someone would put the five button on an actual in television. In 1979, I was one of those contestants. Well, that's cool. And I played Star Strike. No way. I won some $25 gift certificate to Toys R Us, and some of my little friends ran to my home and to tell me they had heard me on TV. Wow, small world. And at the end of each episode, they would place a P-I-X-X, Picks, Pal, on the screen. It didn't make sense, but at 10 years old, I would be oddly impressed. If anyone else is familiar with this show, or by chance was on the show, let me know. I was not familiar with that until you shared that with us, Jason. We can always rely on you for new information. And then, in keeping with his uh, ongoing tradition here, Jason has provided us with a story. The Final Star Strike by Jason Edward Schiffman. A lifetime of tactical training in an advanced space warplane named the Striker. This combination is the only hope Earth has to avoid extinction. An alien race has decided that we were a threat to peace and harmony and that the only way to balance the equation was to launch a powerful missile deep within the molten core of Earth. Delivery of this missile would come from a spherical death dealer known as the, the Sinusure. The Zero Hour was approaching quickly as the Sinusure headed to Earth at speeds once thought impossible for interstellar travel. The missile to end all missiles would travel along a trench along the perimeter of the Sinusure. Its power would be delivered for its deadly trip to Earth from five batteries scattered along the trench. The Sinusure had a collection of ruthless aliens who flew warships around the trench and to protect the batteries in an effort to secure the success of their evil mission. If even one battery survived the attacks, the missile would still reach Earth and eliminate all life and even the planet itself. Therefore, this mission would go down in history as the greatest battle ever fought in space, provided there was even going to be history after this day. Thanks to plasma technology, I had an endless supply of missiles and bombs to complete my task, and although the odds were daunting, I had faith in my sacred mission. The flight begins. The fight begins. I'm surrounded by alien ships, and my senses are overwhelmed by a flurry of ships taking evasive maneuvers while others are taking a hard offensive attack. Through it all, I skillfully destroy four batteries, and the fifth was within sight. I release the final bomb. It seems like a perfect drop, but even a millionth of a second can mean the difference between success and the annihilation of Earth and everything on its surface. Back on Earth, young Bill's mother had yanked the AC cord of the Intellivision from the wall. The fight to save Earth is neither won nor lost, only postponed. An angry young Bill screams, Mom, I was about to save Earth. There was only one battery left. His youthful shriek is met with a shaking finger of authority. You better clean your room. The aliens will still be here when you are done. Suddenly, Bill realized the truth. The aliens will still be there. They will always be there. He glances angrily at his Intellivision. We aren't done yet. The striker will beat your butt. His mom shouts, ba shouts back. You better get to cleaning or I'm going to beat yours. Young William loudly exha exhales and walks away, vanquished, but not defeated. Wow, that was an epic tale of the fight against extinction. Jason, thank you for that. The exchange between young Bill and his mother sounds eerily familiar, but uh, I I'm sure it was a coincidence. I I'm sure no... No comparison to uh, any one that we know was intended. Uh, so thanks, as always, for that. Uh, he also dropped in a, a couple YouTube links 
for uh, WPIX TV Pix Retro commercial, the the Pix Pal show that he was referring to earlier. Uh, go look those up on YouTube. I may or may not drop them into the show notes. Kind of depends on if I remember or not. And then he concludes, Jason says stuff was on fire this week. Feel the burn. Thanks, Jason. As always, this has been. Question. What does Jason say? He says stuff. What does Jason say? What's a stuff? What does Jason say? Or maybe a little stuff. What does Jason say? He says stuff. Jason says stuff in Atari Bites exclusive. All right. Well, this week marks the first week of Intellivision Month 2021 here on the podcast. Longtime listeners of the show know that every year I devote the episodes of the show in June to my Intellivision, or more specifically, my telegames console, um, because I have it, and it still works, and there is a lot of fun to be had on the Intellivision. I know diehard Atari people, uh, some of them really dislike the Intellivision, some diehard Intellivision people probably don't like the Atari either. I happen to exist in that world where we should all just get along, and there's fun to be had on both. As people know, I told I tell the story every year about how I was a kid in the late 70s, early 80s, and like a lot of kids at that time, I really wanted an Intellivision, or excuse me, I really wanted an Atari. Dad was a, a career Sears man, and he's like, nope, just wait till Christmas, because there's this new thing coming out telegames and it's going to be amazing let's just wait and get that so my first console was not an atari it was the series telegames the, the very one that i have right now that i played the game on this week as a matter of fact uh and it was fun it was okay um but it wasn't atari so i ended up getting an atari console as well but i would still play both uh go back and forth and as i've said now a couple of times already this episode i still have that same console and those original games that I had, and I've added to the collection since then. So uh, I feel like every year I should devote some love to the Intellivision. The Intellivision powers that be have themselves taken some steps for people to make it easier for people to devote to uh, give love to the Intellivision with the new Amico. An article on VideoGamesChronicle.com on May 25th titled Intellivision has announced more details on the Amico's launch titles. Uh, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to this Amico thing. Uh, I don't really have an opinion about how good this thing's going to be or even whether it should exist or not. It's a thing that's there, um, and this kind of caught my eye. Five of the six pre-installed games are confirmed, more than 20 others at launch, some with physical additions. The games are, evidently, Intellivision Skiing, which in parentheses they helpfully point out is a sports game, Cornhole, also a sports game. Farkle, F-A-R-K-L-E, a a dice game, which I kind of remember playing with my parents many years ago. Seems like an odd choice, but all right. Astro Smash, which I think we've done for an Intellivision month in the past. And Shark Shark, which I want to play just from the title alone. And a yet-to-be-announced party game. Okay. Console also have a built-in digital store, of course, called the Amico Game Shop, which will include more than 20 additional games on day one. Price of the games will start, this is a British article, so it says £5.99, which Google tells me is $8.50. Eight of the launch titles will also get physical special editions for £17.99 to be sold in, quote, traditional stores. More details to come on what those physical versions will include. 
and those details will be announced in the coming months. Launch games getting physical versions are Evil Knievel, because that's a name kids know today, Biplanes, Moon Patrol, Missile Command, ooh, Missile Command, I love me some Missile Command, Rigid Force Redo Enhanced, okay, Finnegan Fox, Dynablaster, and Brain Brain Duel, okay, Uh, the console will launch this fall. Accessories will include a branded bag for transporting the console, a sleeve for protecting the controller, and 10 sets of controller skin packs, each of which contain three different themed designs. Okay, like I said, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to the Amico thing. I still have a working telegames console that serves my purposes, but I guess maybe someday if I have some money to uh, to uh, burn, maybe I would pick up an Amico. I don't know. If you guys have thoughts one way or the other about the Amico or any of these titles, let me know. All right. Well, we're not playing any of those games today. This week's game is... I've been comparing the exciting new in television space game Star Strike with one of the most popular Atari games, Asteroids. Star Strike has moving images that make the game appear three-dimensional. Asteroids doesn't. And Star Strike features our most exciting visual effect, total destruction of a planet. This is what the other game offers, which is why after Star Strike, Asteroids left me rather flat. Star Strike, new for Intellivision from Mattel Electronics. Star Strike from Mattel, 1981. The manual, and I actually have the physical manual for this one. It's very exciting. Uh, tells us that Mattel Electronics and Television is intelligent television, and that this game is for color TV viewing only. So, you black and white TV people. First of all, it's 2021. Why do you have a black and white TV? But if you do, you're out of luck. Your mission, destroy the alien station before, and they helpfully put before, and they helpfully put before in all capital letters, Earth passes directly over the launch trench. Shoot down the alien defenders striking you, stalking you. Bomb five hot targets or Earth will be destroyed. Good luck and good hunting. The object is to get a high score by quickly bombing five red targets and by hitting as many alien spacecraft as you can. You must hit all red targets before planet Earth, and they put that in quotes for some reason. I don't know why. Moves directly over the green trench. The first red target that you fail to hit when Earth is in alignment will become a missile that blows up Earth. If this happens, the game is over. Avoid hits by alien spaceships to keep controls and lasers working. Some helpful instructions about how to plug all this stuff in, how to insert the overlays. The overlays are wonderfully, uh, not just this game, but any of the uh, Intellivision games. The, The concept of the overlay and having to mess around with the overlays to play these games is delightfully um, retro. Uh, I get a kick out of doing that because it takes me back to 1980, or 81 in this case. So you can't actually see this overlay, but basically you've got the, the left and right buttons. The top button is your laser button. The bottom button is your drop bomb button. The disc is your flight control. There are different buttons on the overlays for warps 1, 2, and 3. And that's about it. Can everyone see in the back? Hey, quit checking out that box of comic books. We're not doing the comic book convention thing anymore. All right. There are six different levels. You can jump in at whatever level you choose. They range, obviously, from easiest to hardest. The higher the skill level, the more difficult it will be to fight the alien defenders, and the less time you'll have to bomb all five red targets. I only played on level one for our purposes today, and I sucked. So, there you go. Press the edge of the disc in the direction you want to go. Don't let your spaceship crash. It's the only one you have. All in capital letters. Which I do think is an interesting part of this game. You don't get lives. You get a life. 
Once you get blown up, that's it. You're done. If you crash into any part of the green space station, you lose. Watch your spacecraft shadowed, which I did not pay attention to. It helps you gauge your altitude and shows the spot directly beneath your spaceship. To change your flying speed, press one of the warp keys. One is standard and your flying speed at the start. Two is fast. Three is super fast. We recommend warp one while you're learning the game. Pairs of defending alien ships appear behind your spaceship. They pause briefly before attacking, then overtaking your ship. When they get within range, they start to fire. If any other white lasers hit you, there's a brief flash of flame. Your ship is out of control while it's on fire. This begs the question, in space, can you have flames? Can you have flames? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Some scientist-y type will educate me, I'm sure. Press the top of the disc to gain altitude. Take evasive action to avoid further hits, then fight back. They really like the capital letters in this manual. Either top action button on your controller is your air-to-air laser trader. When an alien passes your spaceship, its color changes to light blue. When an alien is in front of your spaceship, you can hit it. I had a lot of trouble figuring out the uh, the, the perspective here and, and where exactly you needed to be and where you needed to fire. That may have just been me, or it may have been a flaw of the game. I'm not sure. Damage to your ship gets more severe every time you're hit. Serious problems occur in random order. Won't be able to climb as fast. You have slower movement left or right. You won't be able to descend quickly. You won't be able to change flight speed. Air-to-air laser will misfire, making a noise like static. You lose your targeting radar signal. So that's good to know. Otherwise, you're going to think there's something wrong with your game. But the static is supposed to be there. You lose your targeting radar signal. Ship is out of control longer. The flight attendant brings you soda that is flat. You can't get your bag of peanuts. The, uh person in the seat next to you has a farting problem all sorts of issues all capital letters if even if all these misfortunes occur don't give up you can still save the day if you're fast enough you get score uh, points for shooting down alien space alien spaceships but it's all in vain unless you successfully bomb five red targets before planet earth moves over the center of the trench to release a bomb press either the lower action button a beeping radar warning alarm will give you a signal just before each target comes over the horizon if your bomb hits a red target, the picture shakes from its concussion, and that target turns black. The concussion effects, uh, effect increases every time you hit a red target. When you bomb the fifth target, you destroy the enemy star completely and save the Earth. And you, Again, in quotes, I don't get that. And your, and your score. At level 6, the number of targets is limitless. You start the game with 8,000 points, and that score decreases rapidly with every second that passes unless you have bombed the fifth and final target. Every time you hit an alien spaceship, 250 points are added to your score. The highest level game, uh, six, level 6, starts at 0 and scores 50 points for each alien and 100 for targets. At level 6, you must hit every target. When engaged in air-to-air combat, remember that whoever's behind another spaceship has the shooting position. When the aliens pass you, they turn light blue. Then you're in position to shoot them. Part of the alien strategy is to draw your ship away from the trench where it's harder to hit them. And of course where you are way out of bombing position. Try to stay clear the try to stay near the center of target area as much as you can. Keep track of the number of targets you have bombed. The targets always appear in the same sequence. If you remember that the next one is black, already hit, you won't have to fly in the vulnerable bombing position, and you can concentrate on shooting down aliens for more score points. The best bombing position is low altitude in the center of the trench. Your bombs fail too quickly for high altitude precision. Also, you cannot fire your laser while a bomb is falling. I think part of my problem was I was sort of um, 
reflexively avoiding going into the trench area. So my bombs were not hitting very well. I just felt it went against my instincts. I thought part of the game was you had to stay out of there. So that may have been part of the problem. For $1.25 per set of two overlays, you can get replacement overlays for a wide range of Mattel games, including bowling, roulette, soccer, math fun, word fun, horse racing, chapters, all sorts of stuff. I'm guessing if I tried to send this in now, they would just laugh at me. I wonder if I would get any sort of a response if I used this uh, 40-year-old order form to get new overlays. Hmm, maybe I'll try it. And that is how you play Star Strike from Mattel, 1981. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast. All about life lessons, growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers. Or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around. And I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Wikipedia tells us that this game was the best selling game for Intellivision in 1982 with over 800,000 copies. It's inspired on the attack on the Death Star, Death Star in the 1977 film Star Wars. You might have heard of it. A port of Star Strike for the 2600, Atari 2600 was published under Mattel's M Network label in 82. It's included in the Intellivision Lives collection for computers and other video game consoles like the PlayStation 2 and GameCube. In June 2010, Star Strike was made available on Microsoft's Game Room service for Xbox 360 and games for Windows Live. In its review, NTV Funhouse said that it was really exciting when Star, Stri Star Strike came out, what with Mattel's effective marketing campaign. For any Star Wars freak, this game was a dream come true. Had decent graphics, and it's cute how you can deceive your opponents into crashing the surface of the space station. Guess they're not the best pilots. And the first time we played, we had to be sure to let the Earth explode to see the most impressive video game effect yet, the total destruction of a planet. Um, they do think the replay value is pretty limited because the game gets easier the more you play. But even after having not and even after having not played it for five or ten years, it's pretty easy. On a good-sized TV, the down-the-trench 3D effect is still good. History.blueskyrangers.com calls the game visually stunning with a 3D effect accomplished by sequencing Graham, not seen before in a home video game. Heavily promoted, it was the top song game of '82, as I said. And television game of 82. They do point out a bug. If you hold down the left controller disc in a single position while simultaneously pressing one of the top action keys, the fighter will soon remain in a fixed position on the screen. Release the disc to unfreeze the fighter. The Star Strike TV commercial became probably the most notorious of all video game commercials of its era, with Mattel Electronics spokesperson George Plimpton bragging about our most amazing visual effects ever, the total destruction of a planet while the Earth is seen being blasted to pieces. Comedians, cartoonists, and politicians all jumped on this as an example of the glorification of violence in video games. If only they knew what was coming. Recordsetter.com has a posting from August 25th, 2016, 
the fastest time to complete Star Strike for Intellivision, Richard, Richard Wilson from Sutton, Southeast England, completed the game evidently in 1 minute 20 seconds. Holy crap. I don't know if that record's been beat yet, but that's pretty darn impressive, if you ask me. Richard Wilson, if you want to reach out to the podcast and tell me how you did it, I would be curious. All right. Well, after the break, we strike out on our own and, like Ed McMahon said back in the day, reach for the stars and catch them. And then we blow the crap out of them. Strike, the continuing adventures of Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock as... Oh, wait. That's Star Trek. Anyway, we're playing Star Strike, uh, the first game of our... You can spell Star... Uh, Star Trek from Star Trek. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Henry. But unfortunately, there's no Captain Kirk in this one. Or even Captain Picard. Oh man, I love me some Cap Captain Picard. Wasn't crazy about the first season of the Picard show, though. Maybe season two will be better. Anyway, uh, so we're playing uh, for our first game of Intellivision Month 2021. We're playing Star Strike 1981 Mattel game. You can see that on the screen. One of my favorite things about the title screens and all these uh, Intellivision games is the little color bar at the top. I guess that's to emphasize that, ooh, it's all in color. Even the manual, I probably mentioned this already in the main part of the show. Even the manual on the cover says, for taller television viewing only. It's very exciting. Alright, so let's play this game and uh, see, see what it is. Engage. Alright, so I like the look of it. We start with 8,000 points. Die! You're light blue, you're supposed to die when I shoot you. It took me a while to get used to the look of your own little blue spaceship. The uh, invading ships look like your basic Intellivision invaders. Sort of that, uh, well, that kind of tic-tac-shaped ships. Of course, in the news right now is uh, the Pentagon sort of acknowledging that, yeah, there are UFOs. And a lot of the reports... And USOs. And USOs. Uh, and the, uh, a lot of the times when they describe... When the reports describe the ships, they describe them as sort of tic-tac shaped. And that's kind of what these are too. So, hmm, coincidence? Yeah, I am. I, I have a lot of trouble with the, there we go, with lining up the laser shots. But I feel, don't feel as bad because I'm even worse at dropping the bombs. Oh, Earth is almost there. I'm a, I spent too much time talking. Die! Hey, that bomb landed right on you. You should have died. <sighs> oh, shoot. I wasn't paying attention. Here goes the Earth. Bye, Earth. Making way for that interplanetary highway, I guess. Arthur Dent is on his way. Well, uh, it's very pretty. Uh, the star field is lovely, but I'm dead, as is the entire human race. So, on that cheery note, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? 
course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned devilish breakfast food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. Here's the thing about Star Strike. My favorite thing about Star Strike is, like the, uh, the article said, the blowing up the Earth effect does look really cool, especially in the context of the era that it came from. The stars in the background in television games do really nice uh, star fields, sort of the twinkling stars in the background. So I like that. I like that, that you only get one ship, you're not getting lives, uh, so you have to protect that one ship. I get that, the, that you take damage, but it's kind of random and you don't, it's hard to recognize that you're damaged ever really noticed that much difference. It'd be nice if there was like a, uh, I know a lot of times these get in the way, but if there was a display on screen of what was damaged, that might be nice. It's a little, I mean, it's a game convention, I guess, but it's a little hokey, I don't know if hokey is the right word, that the earth has to be positioned in the middle of the green trench. I don't know what's so special about that. Uh, obviously, it's for the game, it's just to give you a countdown of sorts but it just it sounds a little weird i like the ships like i said in the field report they are sort of your quintessential in television game space flying saucers uh, i dig that um i had fun i keep playing it maybe it does get to a point where you you sort of master the techniques and and replay value goes down but i think you could probably say that about any game really and, and i'm nowhere near as you can tell from the field report i'm nowhere near that point yet with this game so uh, i like it if you guys have thoughts about star strike let me know oh by the way i I did not get a particularly strong star wars vibe off of this i guess i understand why people did especially back then they were sort of craving star wars stuff but uh, it did that did not jump out at me until i heard somebody else say it anyway so if you have thoughts let me know It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. 
This week's story is titled, Star Strike Celebrity Bowling. The typical bowling shoe with six pairs of eyelets has nearly two trillion ways to lace it. Behind the brand new bowling alley service counter, Brent had arrayed 40 pairs of bowling shoes in various sizes using a different lacing technique for each pair. Two trillion, eh? Brent said to himself. Once this business takes off, I might just get the chance to try them all. Brent heard the door to the pro shop, or what would be the pro shop, once he got some actual pros, slam shut. Elsie emerged down by lane 25, irritably corralling her dark hair into a scrunchie and flat-footing over to Brent at the check-in counter. So are we doing this? Elsie asked. It's almost, you know, time for the grand opening. Brent held up a finger. No, no. This is the soft opening. The grand opening is next weekend. Oh, right. Where's your t-shirt? Brent asked. We're all supposed to be wearing the same matching t-shirt. This is just the soft opening, Elsie countered. I'll wear it for the grand opening. I mean, unless we're going to be wearing formal wear or something. Brent seemed to give this a weird level of serious thought. Megan Trainer, I'm sure, will show up in bowling attire. She comes to play. Brent looked at his watch, gave a thumbs up to Elsie, and flicked a row of switches behind the counter. A wave of illumination swept across the alley's 25 lanes. The lanes were perfectly oiled. The scoreboards overhead stood ready to record those strikes and spares. Not a single table was sticky, and no nacho crumb littered any chair. The blowers and ball returns hummed in anticipation. Star Strike Celebrity Bowling was ready to open. Brent breathed in the moment of accomplishment, his eyes moist. He beamed at his employee. You know nobody bowls anymore, right? Elsie said. Actually, I think you'll find statistics show bowling is this country's number one participatory sport. Staring at phones is the number one participatory sport, especially since no participation is required, Elsie said. If you were really hung up on this dead sport, you could have just done a bowling app or something. When Leo DiCaprio comes in, Brent said. You'll be sorry you said that. Leo DiCaprio is not going to come in. He's a big bowler, Brent said. Justin Bieber, too. Elsie laughed. A lot. Like dribbling pee levels of laughter. Once she pulled herself together, she said, Yeah, I heard Bieber is doing a cover of Joe Montgomery's The Bowling Song. A strike! Rolling down the alley with pretty playful Sally. Sally and me, we bowl away our daily blues when we tie on those bowling shoes. Rolling down the alley, my Sally and me. Rolling, rolling, down the alley, anticipating tally. Rolling down the alley, bowling Sally and me. The self-satisfied smile in Brent's face rivaled the joy, the joyful look he wore that whole day. He discovered calzones really do just taste like rolled up pizza. That's why I made the Bieber DiCaprio Nacho Grotto in the pro shop, Brent said. They're going to love it. Star Strike Celebrity Bowling will be the premier destination for the world's most famous bowlers and bowling enthusiasts. What about the common duck pin fan? Elsie asked. Kegling is beloved among the Hollywood elite, and they need a good place to do it, Brent said, agreeing with a thing that Elsie hadn't actually said. But Elsie started unsure how to say this. But no one has heard of you. How will the elite know to come here? You know, for all the bowling they love. 
Brent hand-waved the concern away. I mentioned it a lot on my YouTube channel. Seriously, you should have done the phone app. Animated Kevin Hart knocking down cartoon bowling pins can't replace watching real-life Kevin Hart tussling with Bill Murray over the 16-pounder. Brent, opening this place is really expensive, Elsie said. Eight mortgages on your house is not normal. More hand-waving. Brent looked at his phone. It's time, he intoned. Open the doors. Elsie sighed and threw up her hands. Whatever. It's not like Brent was paying her anyway. She still had all her credit card cashback money to live on. Elsie went and opened the front doors. The throng of celebrities was... Well, it was non-existent, actually. For the next several hours, Brent nervously tied knots in all the bowling shoelaces and visited the restroom, wishing he could tie similar knots in his intestines. Elsie went to the bowling grotto to drink some of the non-existent profits. As Brent dozed fitfully on the front counter, he was startled by an uncertain voice. Uh, yeah, I'd like to bowl a few frames. Brent blearily looked up at the lightly freckled face of Starstrike's first customer. Oh, uh, Brent said, trying to regain his footing. Are you famous? I mean, the young man said, I guess I led my school's bowling team to state. Brent leapt over the counter, crashing to the floor, then struggled to his feet. He gave Jake Travers, senior at unnamed President High, a grateful hug. Who needs Liam Hemsworth? Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the End of the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Comptech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme and the Jason Says Stuff theme. Whether you think this show is a strike or a 710 split, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check us out on Instagram. You can call us too. I'm not going to answer the phone, but you are free to leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978 about really pretty much anything you want, and I'll probably play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links uh, for this show, my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, and for books that I've written, if you are tired of my voice and would like to see my words in print instead. Print or ebook, whatever you prefer. It's a free country. For now. Consider supporting the show financially by helping to keep the lights on uh, with uh, financial support over there on the Atari Bytes Patreon page. Uh, depending on what level you donate at, you could get stuff. And people like stuff. So go check that out. You can also hang out with these fine folks who have my sincere thanks. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jim Goble, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., and Jason Schiffman. All right, we're just about out of here. The first week of Intellivision Month 2021 is under our boat or under our belts or under our boat. If you're listening to this on the water, it's summer, you might be. So all that's left is to tell you what happens next week on Intellivision Month. Next time on Atari Bytes. We continue Intellivision Month with a water-themed game, by coincidence. And it's called 
sub hunt. Or maybe we're looking for a sandwich. I'm not sure. But we'll find out next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. The score will show we're pretty bad, but look at all the fun we've had. Rolling down the alley, my Sally and me. We pretend that every bit is someone we dislike. We aim right at the knucklehead and come up with the lucky strike. Rolling down the alley with pretty playful Sally. Rolling down the alley, bowling Sally and me.